Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. I'm so excited that I get to do this series on living life to its fullest. And uh, in fact... You know, I hadn't planned on doing it here. I was doing it in Honolulu. But the Lord has opened up the door for me to do it. And uh, Sunday morning, everybody say Sunday morning. I'm going to be preaching a special Christmas message from the book of Philippians. In fact, it's a message I preached in Alaska and Arkansas and all over the mainland. I'm going to preach it on Sunday morning. Sunday night, everybody say Sunday night. I'm going to continue on the series, The Blessed Family. And the reason I'm doing that is so that those in the extensions can get a little taste of how to have a blessed family. Is that all right? Well, forget it then. I said, is that all right? All right. So Sunday morning, be with me. Sunday night, be with me. We'll have a great time. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ because of my chains. Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Out of what? Oh, isn't that a shame that some do it for that. But listen to how Paul says this. This is amazing to me. He says... The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. What? And because of this, what does Paul do? I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, through what? And help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Oh man, I got that underlined in my Bible. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So then, through my being with you again, your joy in Christ, 
Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, everybody say, whatever happens. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being what? Without being what? Frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that there are hungry people on Maui who made their way to this cathedral, not just to hear a message, but to hear a word from you, to worship and to honor you on a Wednesday night. Lord, I just thank you for whole families that are here yearning for you. I pray, Holy Ghost, you would come. Come on, people. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Cry out to the Lord. Lord, come, minister life to us tonight. Give us revelation. Cause us, God, to hear your voice and to be changed by it. Lord, I pray for a great liberty and freedom for me to preach your word with power. And Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do tonight because you are here and you are going to move on our behalf because you love us and your word is powerful. So Holy Ghost, come. Come in power and in might. And we'll be sure, Lord, to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I was working on my doctorate, I came across the work of a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Anybody ever heard of Viktor Frankl? Let me see your hand. A few of you have. And for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a... He was a neurologist and a psychologist from Vienna, Austria. He was a Jew who was arrested under Hitler's Germany and survived the Holocaust where over six million Jews were slaughtered. But it was while he was in that concentration camp, he developed and introduced right after the war in 1946 a fascinating way of looking at therapy. He wrote a book entitled Man's Search for Meaning, and he made the case that man's basic yearning, his motivation, what makes him truly human, is not sex, is not power, like Freud said or Adler said concerning power. He says what, what our basic yearning is a desire for meaning. Have you ever stopped to think about it when something happens, you always ask a question, why? Now why in the world do you ask the question, why? Because somehow in the depths of your being, there's a cry for meaning, for purpose. Frankel's insight is true because it's based on a biblical revelation that God made us in his image and he has given us 
purpose and meaning. And we see this truth in our passage tonight in the reading of Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. I want to talk tonight on the subject, living for a purpose. Paul is in prison in Rome. Now keep in mind, I've shared this before, when you're studying the letters, whether it be Paul's letter or James's letter or any of the letters in the New Testament, they're called epistles, that you are listening on one end of the telephone. In other words, if I was calling Pastor Colleen on my cell phone tonight and you were sitting next to her and you didn't hear what I said, you only heard what she said. If you, heard, if you, if you listened very closely, you could probably get some idea as to what I was calling her about. And that's the way you study the epistles. You always think of that when you're reading it. So you think about, well, why is Paul saying this stuff? What's going on here? <clears throat> well, when you look at it closely, you begin to realize it could be that the Apostle Paul's character and authority is being questioned because he's in prison. And remember, the Philippian church was the closest church to the Apostle Paul. They were the church that supported him when nobody else did. It could be that they're asking, how could a great man of God be in prison? In fact, keep in mind that all of us, when we get in trouble, begin to ask questions, why? And, and notice that the Apostle Paul deals with every adversity and with even what may be going on in the minds of the people in Philippi by looking at every situation in light of purpose. In light of what? In light of what? Where we get in trouble is when we don't even think about what is the purposes of God? What is God up to? What can God do to turn this for good? We get so caught up into the tragedy of what we're going through that we don't even think, how can God turn this to good? But Paul thinks differently. In every adversity, in every situation, he sees it in light of purpose. And take a look at what he does here. His purpose was to advance the gospel there in verse 12. And you notice that palace guards, these are the people guarding him. And everyone else knows that he's in prison for the gospel. Now the only way they could know that is by the fact that he probably led all the prison guards that he was chained to, to the Lord. Remember he said, I'm in chains for Christ. He saw the very purpose of him being chained to a Roman guard as an opportunity to see that Roman guard come to Christ. He even goes on to say that fellow Christians have been emboldened to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly because he's in prison witnessing. And whether one has good or bad motives for presenting the gospel, you say, are there people that really have bad motives for presenting the gospel? Listen, I've been a pastor 
and a minister of the gospel for over 50 years. I can tell you, Paul is absolutely right. There are some people who are more concerned about having their name in lights than they are about the gospel. And they're desperately trying to outdo somebody else who's trying to do. And oh man, what they say about that other pastor as a result, because they're successful and on and on. They just, it's horrible. But Paul doesn't even worry about it. He says, look, he says, look, whether it's good or bad motives for presenting the gospel, it doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul says, look, all that matters is Christ is preached. Somebody say hallelujah. And fourthly, you'll notice he rejoices in spite of being in prison because the purpose of God, the purpose that God has given him is being fulfilled. Oh my, if we could see things from that perspective. Am I fulfilling what God's called me to do? Secondly, you'll notice now that not only does Paul specifically see his purpose was to advance the gospel, but you'll notice that his purpose was to conduct himself. And I want you to grab this because this is very important. Look at verse 27. Whatever happens, everybody say, whatever happens. Now, let's try it again because I want it to sink deep in your heart. Whatever happens. Things don't go your way. Things seem to come out of order. Whatever happens. Look at what Paul says. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Oh, I wish he hadn't said that. Because I get so mad. I want to slap people. Of course, none of you have ever felt that way. I'm Italian. That's just the way it works for me. But think about it. Whatever happens, he says, whatever happens, my purpose, my purpose, my purpose is to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm disappointed by what somebody has done. I feel like I've been cheated. I feel this or I feel that. Whatever happens. That's heavy duty, guys. That isn't the way we normally think. Well, maybe you guys are all angels and you think that way, but I, I'm just being transparent here with you. Whatever happened, conduct yourselves in manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Wow. And the reason he says that in verse 27 is he makes it real plain that it will help you stand firm in one spirit. Listen to what he says. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. See, if you, if you look at everything from the perspective that this is not going to derail me, this will not derail me from conducting myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if we all begin to see things that way, we will be strong. We will stand firm in one spirit. Secondly, we will be contending as one man in the faith. There's nothing that can break unity. I mean, if, you have un if you're unified, if, if a couple is unified, there's power. If two of you shall agree, Jesus said, 
Are you listening to me? If a church is in agreement, we're going to go forward with the gospel no matter what somebody says, no matter what somebody does. We're, going, we're, we're united together. That's a pretty hard force to stop. I've seen it happen in football. I played football in high school and college, and I'll tell you what. There were games where we weren't supposed to win, but the coach said something in that locker room, and there was something that happened in all of us, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter how big and bad the other team was. We were going to win that game. And we all thought the same way. I'll never forget, I was sitting in the stands. My brother was playing. David was an a all-star football player. You didn't know that because he was short, but he was a powerful kid in high school. Got a scholarship to SMU. He threw it all away and said, I'm going to go to a Christian college. But what happened, and then he went on a mission trip, and he was, he was 250 pounds. When he got off the mission trip, he was 150 pounds. He lost 100 pounds eating peanut butter sandwiches on the first YWAM mission trip to the Caribbean. So he couldn't play football. He was a center and a guard. But what, what was so... Uh, amazing was I, I was sitting in the stands. He was on, he was on this team that, that had the possibility. They, they had lost the state championship to another team. This is Texas and Texas football. They're insane. They're absolutely insane. You, anybody know what I'm talking about? They, they're insane. I mean, as a kid growing up and uh, living in Texas, you played football just as a kid. And none of this peewee stuff. I mean, you hit, you tackled, you did all kinds of crazy things. And, you know, back then, you were macho man if you knocked the other guy 20 feet in the air. I mean, you know, that. now they, they have all these concussion rules now. But boy, back then, it was, it was something. And your coaches taught you how to hit so people would hurt when they got finished, when you got finished hitting them. That's the kind of stuff it was. And I can recall, I'm sitting in the stands, they're playing the team that they lost to the year before at the state championship. And I'll ne I've never seen it like this ever. But when, they, when, when this team, this, this school that I was a part of, I was only a freshman at the time, these were all the, the guys much older. When they came out of that locker room, they had fire in their eyes. I mean, it's like, we're going to kill them. We're just going to kill them. And they won that game. Now Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying, look, listen, you, your purpose is to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if you do that, it will help you stand firm. And you contend as one man in the faith. And no fear. Don't have any fear. Don't fear. Everybody say, no fear. Because he says, look at how he says this. It is amazing. When I read this uh, a number of years ago, I underlined it. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, and this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. The number one attack on your life is fear. One of the biggest things that concern me about this COVID thing isn't the COVID virus. It's what it's doing in the minds of our children. 
what it's doing in the, uh, the you, know, all, you know, I'm on an airplane and these little kids with masks and, and I'm thinking, here's a kid three years old with a mask on, five years old with a mask on. And, and, and what's, do, what's happening with their psyche? It's, it's producing fear in them. You got people that are so afraid. We can do all the social distancing, have all the masks, but they're still afraid. Fear grabs you and holds you. And if it's not the pandemic, it'll be something else. The enemy uses fear to control the church. And Paul says, no fear. I think somebody else ought to shout that with me on three. One, two, three. And if you'll approach things like that, he says, it's a sign. It's a sign that those who are opposing you will be destroyed. It's a sign to every demon power that they're going to end up in the lake of fire. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. I'm telling you what. Any folks here that are going to cry out with me, no fear. You're facing situations, and I face them a lot. And I, it's, you know, it's easy for me to get up here and say, not fair. And then things happen. You go, Ugh. How many know we need to be reminded? It's a part of our purpose to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Jesus was not afraid of anything. There's so many stories of such brave missionaries who've gone into horrible places. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book. I think it's called Splendor. I can't remember the whole title. Her husband was killed by cannibals in the... uh, Trying to think of the name of the tribe. It was there in the Amazon, uh, Amazon River area. And it was a horrible thing. It was back when I was a boy in the 50s where that, that these missionaries were killed and eaten. And uh, it was horrible. She goes back to that very place. She goes back to that very place and brings the gospel to those people who killed her husband. Gates of Splendor is the name of the book. Amazing. Oh, well, knowing your purpose changes your perspective. I want everybody to say this with me because many of us need our perspective changed. Are you ready? On three, knowing your purpose changes your perspective. I want you to say it again because I want you to get it in your heart. Knowing your purpose changes your perspective. Knowing his purpose caused Paul to continue to rejoice. He continued to rejoice, he said. Wow. Because he was rejoicing because of 
prayer and the help by the Spirit there in verse 19. It is so amazing. He says, yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You know, I got in, I was extremely tired yesterday after flying for 12 hours for, you know, just, it's a 12-hour trip from Alaska to get here to Maui. And um, my wife and I both arrived at nearly the same time. She came from Missouri, I came from Alaska. But I got up for prayer this morning, and the reason I got up for prayer was I rejoice. I rejoice that there's people that get up early in the morning to pray because I know it's through prayer and through the power of the Holy Ghost that all of this is happening tonight. Everything that's happened, all the hundreds and hundreds of people I had the privilege of ministering to that are all part of KC. All of it. All of the facilities, all of the things, all of the pastors, all of them. It's all come about by the prayers and by the working of the Holy Ghost. So I rejoice. Even though my body wants to say, shut down. It will bring deliverance. Wow. And he says he won't be ashamed, but will have the courage so Christ will be exalted. Man. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it's like somebody slapping me upside the head. Because here's a man who sees things. He rejoices because of prayer and the Holy Spirit, because he knows what's going to happen when people pray. He's going to be delivered, and he won't be ashamed, but he'll have courage, and Christ will be exalted because people are praying, and the power of the Holy Ghost is present. He goes on to say that the key to his rejoicing in verse 21, look at what he says there in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everybody say win-win. If I live, I win. If I die, I win. Hey! It's win-win for every person in this room. You got to hear that. Doesn't matter what CNN says. Doesn't matter what MS, whatever B, whatever they're called. All these news things say, it don't matter a thing. If you're a believer, you win, win, period. If you die, you win. If you live, you win. Come on, somebody. That's why he rejoices. The second thing you'll notice, knowing your purpose changes your perspective, he'll continue to rejoice. And then secondly, his own desire takes second place. What he wants takes second place. Look at verse 22 through 24. It's amazing to me. He says, look, he says, he says, let, let me read it. If I, may, if I am to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. 
Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Wow. You see, his desire is second best. He'd rather be with the Lord, but he knows he's got to stay around a while. It's a win-win. And keep in mind, now listen, there's a lot of false teaching running around. There's these folks who'll knock on your door wearing a tie and a white shirt carrying a briefcase. And they'll say things like this. Well, we don't believe in hell. And, you know, you, 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 when you die, if you're part of the 144,000, well, then you can make it. They don't tell you there's been a lot more than 144,000 in their cult. So they motivate people to work so they can be a part of that little secret club. And they say, well, you're, it's soul sleep. Your sleep, your body just, you just, that's it. But you don't, you don't, you don't go beyond that unless you're a part of the select group. Stop. Paul makes it very clear, not only here, but also in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, when he says, we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If you're a believer, any believers in the house, if you're a believer, the moment you die, that you breathe your last breath, you awake either in hell if you're not a believer, or in heaven with the Lord. There's no soul sleep. You say, well, why does the Bible talk about death is sleep? Hey, come on. For the believer who Jesus has risen from the dead for, literally for us, death is not, has no more sting. It's not this horrible thing anymore. It's the gateway into the very presence of the Lord. So that when I leave this body and I'm a believer, I've put my trust in Jesus, I'm assured that I will enter his presence. Paul says it not only here, but he says it in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So listen, when I die, don't grieve for me. I'm, I'm thankful somebody says, Oh, he's gone. I, I'm so... No, I'm so thankful he's gone. He used to scream at us. Somebody said, oh, he's gone. We're in trouble. Now, listen to me. Hold, listen, listen. I learned something very well. I've shared it almost at every funeral. I'll share it with you again tonight. My dad in 1986, early one morning, he started our prayer meeting in 1984. Man of prayer. I got a call at about four in the morning from my mom. Said something's wrong with dad. I drive down and I could tell by what he was going through that he was having a heart attack. And um, called the ambulance. The ambulance took him to Maui Memorial. And I could see him in the room. The doctors were working on him and his heart went into fibrillation. And, uh, and um, he died right there on the table. And um, mom was in the waiting room. They had, that was in the days when they had a little waiting room there in the emergency room. And I walked over there and I said, Mom, Dad's just passed. He's gone. Shall we go back and raise him from the dead? 
And, uh, you know, I thought mom would say, yeah, let's go do that. You know what mom said? I said, why would we want to do that? He's been wanting to be in heaven his whole life. I thought, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. He said, and she said, he wouldn't want to come back here. I go, wow, revelation. Don't bring me back when I'm already gone. Don't listen to Pastor Colleen. I got to have him back. Just let me, let me stay. I love you, baby. I'd love to be back with you, but. I don't make light of it. Paul the Apostle just gives us the encouragement to know that we have a destiny. And it's worth living your life for Christ. So at that moment, when our heart stops, we awaken to a life that is truly life. It makes what our life here seem like a dim shadow. Because what is real, what is real, is there. And the fact that he died and rose from the dead so we could be there. causes Paul to realize that even when he takes second place, his own desires take second place, the fact that he's in heaven (laughs) is awesome. That brings me then to the third thing. Knowing your purpose changes your perspective. He will continue to rejoice. Paul does. His own desire takes second place. That's a win-win. And suffering for Christ is an honor. It's interesting how we honor those who've been wounded. Those who die in battle, we honor them. God honors his servants who have been wounded in the battle for the gospel. Verse 29, it is fascinating to me how Paul says this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. It's an honor. None of us want to suffer. None of us want to have a struggle. But if you, if you have to be that, and you are to be a martyr, take it as an honor. You are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, that brings me then to closing this message. God is speaking to us today, and there are a number of things that I believe he's saying. I want you to just write them down. We have meaning because God is real and he made us and gives us purpose. Keep in mind, you know, he can speak to us in the midst of every situation and give us revelation. And in the midst of that problem, he gives us revelation as to 
the very thing that he's working in us or accomplishing through us. And we may not see it at that point, but when we get that revelation, everything changes. God can work things out when we don't even know he's working it out. I mean, it's amazing to me. And whatever he does, in every situation, we can become more like Jesus if we let Jesus work in us. Somebody say amen. That's why I don't give up on marriages. That's why I don't give up on children. I believe God can work in spite of the stupidity of people. If we pray and if we seek him and if we live right, God can turn it for good. I've seen it happen time and time and time and time again. Secondly, we must embrace our eternal purpose. Heaven is real and we're here to serve Christ, to make him known, to give him glory, to live for him, to know him and to reveal his goodness to a world that desperately need to know God is good. Thirdly, God can turn everything to good. Come on, everyone say that. God can turn what? To what? To good. But we must let him by our choice. We can choose to have a stink attitude or we can choose to have an attitude like Paul had that rejoiced and, and yearned to see God at work even in his difficult situation. I've seen this happen time and time again. I've seen people going through divorce and it's a horrible thing. I've seen it so many times. And um, the thing that encourages me is when that couple continue to serve the Lord. It's amazing. Did you know I've had the wonderful privilege of being able to remarry couples that have been divorced and got them back together? But when they were going through it, they couldn't see anything but how bad that other person was. But through prayer and through their serving the Lord, God healed it. I'm not saying that happens to everyone. I've seen situations where a spouse has, has committed adultery and has gone and done stupid stuff and, and God in his mercy allowed them to, to just continue in the way they went. But that one who loved the Lord and continued to walk in the Lord and was faithful to the Lord, God brought a person to them that was the specific person they needed and they got married and they've had a blessed life ever since and it was awesome. You stay faithful to the Lord and God will turn it to good. Please, it's not over till it's over. Are you hearing me? God can turn everything to good. Fourthly, we must stop searching to find ourselves. That's the biggest trap in the world. Oh, I'm just trying to find myself. You'll never find yourself! You're in darkness! Some of the stupidest books on the market are written by people. Well, I just left everything just trying to find myself. What a dark hole. We must stop searching to find ourselves. We must find God and his purpose for our lives. Because when we give ourselves to God's cause, 
That's when we'll find out about who we really are and why we were made. I stand in awe. I mean, I stand in awe of so many of you that I knew when you were a jerk. You came in here all messed up. You were an absolute disaster. And I look at you now, and you're beautiful, and you're wonderful, and God's using you. And I go, God, how'd you do that? How many know what I'm talking about? Because that person was you. That's amazing. So stop trying to find yourself. Find God and his purpose. And how do we respond to challenging situations? You say, Pastor, I, I know there's stimulus and response. I, I had this stimulus, and so the stimulus, my response is this. Wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. There's, there's something that you're not counting on. Stimulus and response happens for animals. But you're a human being. In between the stimulus and the response, you have a choice. I'll try this side. I said between the stimulus and the response, you're made in the image of God and you have a choice. You can choose, as Paul did, sitting in prison, to rejoice. You can choose, as Paul and Silas, after being beaten by casting a demon out of a girl, in the middle of the night, in a prison, starts to sing and praise God. It's choice. You have a choice in every situation. I, I love the illustration I've used a lot where a guy and a girl are sitting in a car outside the parents' home and, and the guy's about ready to make out with the girl except it's the girl's house. And he puts his arm around the girl and he's just about ready to, to steam up the windows. And the father sticks a shotgun at the head of that boy and says, remove your arm from my daughter. He isn't going to say, I can't help myself. <laughs> I just can't help myself. No, no, no. He's going to take his arm off. The girl's going to get out of the car. He's going to go home without steaming up the windows. Between stimulus and response, you always have a choice. All right, I got to close this message. I'm having a lot of fun. We got to close. It's time. Everything can change for the believer. Situation can change, or we can change, or both can change. 
But if you're a believer, there will always be change in the situation, or in you, or in both. Because we're not on our own. We have the power of the Holy Ghost, and we have answered prayer. Stand to your feet. Oh, oh, oh. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.